Hello, and welcome to Saskatchewan Matters from Martin Charlton Communications. This is episode 27 of the most influential weekly podcast to come out of the Saskatchewan business community. On each episode, Paul Martin, business commentator and the chair of Martin Charlton Communications, brings us the stories behind the headlines and explains why each story matters to you. On today's episode, tactics versus strategy. Too often we get caught up in the day-to-day operations and we need to not only take a step back to look at our long-term plan, but how we get there. Paul, sometimes we get stuck in the weeds. How can we get out of them? You know, it's a good question. And every once in a while, I, I kind of change the topic in, in today. I sort of look at two or three different main themes or streams as we're doing these podcasts. One of them is um, uh, to kind of recount some of my journalistic experiences around uh, uh, a career that's taken me around the world to talk about Saskatchewan business and how it uh, interwines or intertwines with um, uh, organizations virtually, well, on every continent. And really, I've had a chance to do 23 time zones chasing Saskatchewan companies. So uh, sometimes it's a perspective we don't normally get. So that's one. Uh, another one of them is uh, is just experiences I've had as a tech chair, learning from business people and seeing their experiences and trying to recount them. The third one is also drawn from uh, that realm of being a tech chair, but it's observations of that are more general in nature about how business and those in business, those in leadership positions, tend to uh, tend to approach things, and that's what I want to talk about today. And and your point of trying to find find that line between strategy and uh, and tactics or operations for a lot of business people, seasoned business people in particular, that is a very difficult one to operate, and and it comes it's most noticeable, and and you see it surfacing. When uh, people, seasoned business people, get appointed to boards of directors, and they have a, uh, you know, they're there for a reason, uh, a, a pile of experience and wisdom that the, the uh, organization wants to tap into, and uh, you know, you've been to places nobody else has, you've been around a long time, you've seen things, and sometimes I can look at three options, A, B, and C, and normally I would pick A, but that seasoned person. Nine times out of 10 is going to agree with A, but it's that one out of 10. That's the one you're looking for to say, yeah, that looks like the answer, but trust me, I've been to this movie and it is B on this one. And that's why you put people on boards of directors is for that wisdom. Now, here's the problem. The people that get invited to sit on boards of directors tend to be seasoned, experienced, successful. Well, they got there for a reason, and they have to change horses when they move from the leader of an organization to a board of directors, which has all the legal and fiduciary responsibilities and and uh, uh, you know duties that go with that. But you're not the leader in the sense of doing the day to day operation. You're not the CEO, and for some of them, they have a hard time with that. You know. Um, Stop. You have to to describe a destination rather than the roadmap to get to that destination. And for some, they have a hard time, especially if the organization's in a period where it's in transition or it's struggling. And uh, those with a lot of experience just want to wade in and say, do this, do that, do this, do that. 
And that makes them way too operational and actually not of very much support or guidance or help to uh, those in management who are actually charged with doing the day-to-day execution. So we come up with a couple of thoughts here on, uh, you know, things that if you're appointed to a board of directors or you're sitting on one and you feel yourself being dragged into the weeds a little bit too much and you, you're discussing more tactics and uh, then you are strategy, uh, you know, how do you fight that? How do you combat that? So that's one of the things maybe we could talk about today. And, and one of the tools that I've seen or uh, uh, seen evolve is where, and that's, this is, this is a hard one, but here's, here's a real good gig, even to do it for your, if, you know, if you're uh, in a management position and listening to this today, put this to your team, describe your organization in a single word. And sometimes you can just say, what is the ethos of an organization? And, and people say, well, what do you mean by that? And I said, well, what is the actual core DNA or lifeblood of the organization? And let me give you an example. Car dealerships. Have you ever met a car dealer who did not come up off the sales side? I mean, that's the ethos of a car dealership. It is driven by sales. Do they have good finance department? Absolutely. Do they have good service department? Absolutely. Do they have good customer experience? Yes. But the the real guts of the operation, the leadership, the DNA, the imprint, the ethos is one of sales. And, uh, you know, if you look at other organizations, insurance is a lot about sales. Uh, the media uh, on the business side is sales driven. Uh, so uh, there are many organizations like that, but you can take other organizations and you can find their ethos is different. You know, uh, I'm going to give you a phrase. You tell me what the name of the company is. Happiest place on earth. Disney. Yeah. Yeah. And it's about customer experience. Right. And so a lot of people I find when they're trying to describe their organization, they rely on customer experience. That's where they kind of default to. And I say, man, fair enough. You know, if, you think that's what it is. But listen, here's the standard that is in the mind of the world of consumers. That's Disney on customer experience. So if you want to, you know, say that's the ethos of our company, then understand clearly when you say that or when you articulate it, here's the benchmark you have to meet. It's Disney. I mean, are you ready for that? You know, and you can have another, uh, an ethos of an organization could be luxury, what names come to, na- uh, to to mind with that? Rolls Royce, uh, you know, uh, some of the watchmakers and and that stuff. Let's face it: if you're buying a watch to tell time, there's a difference between that and buying a Rolex, which makes a statement. Right? It does tell time. There's no question about that. But it says other things too, and that's the ethos that I'm trying to get at here. And so, when you're sitting on the board of directors, you know, push the organization to define itself very clearly. And once you know who you are, you can stay away from stuff you're not good at and and really excel at what you are good at. So a question that I would bring to that, and I've spoken to many organizations, they get caught in the weeds around whether to have a mission and vision at all, what they should be, and then those who do go for it get really, many have got really stuck in defining what they are. Can they be a distraction? Can they truly help an organization understand who they are? Yeah. uh, You know, most of the people go through the exercise of vision, values, mission, and uh, they post them on the wall. And I guarantee you in 99% of the organizations, if you walk around the place and you say, quote for me, the mission statement on the, on the wall, on that little plaque that we have on there, most of them can't do it. So 
that is checking a box, right? But there's still, you cannot deny the fact that every organization that is enjoying some level of success has something in it that's making it successful. So there are core values or there's something there. Now, whether it's vision, I don't know. Whether it's mission, I don't know. But there's something. Uh, it could be strategy. It could be anything. And, uh, you know, so I find for the most part, people are not serious about these things. They go through the motions of putting them on the wall and claiming vision and all that sort of stuff. But for many, I don't think they, it doesn't embody anything. It's a statement, but they don't live it. They don't talk about it every day. And and if you want, uh, sometimes I, you know, I, I have on certain days, I'm not particularly a fan of uh, mission, vision, values. Other days I am, but you know, some days I'm not. But I am taken by things like ethos, and that's what kind of got me thinking: was where did this word come from in my own lexicon? And it was I realized uh, from the Navy SEALs, the U.S. Navy SEALs. They they don't have a value statement; they have an ethos. And if you know, encourage you go Google it. It's long; it's an entire page. It's far from a single sentence. And you know, most most of these value statements I see is we will strive to be the preferred vendor of choice or something. Uh, you know, all the words sound the same and they don't differentiate you go read the ethos of the Navy SEALs. I mean, it's like, we will be the best that there is. We understand we, uh, are called into battle that, um, we are a team and we seek no glory. Uh, I mean, the, you know, it's, it's a full page of a whole bunch of stuff. And it's interesting how they live their values. I've had an opportunity to speak with a couple of them, some senior people who've had, you know, life, a career experience in there. And, you know, if there's a common theme that comes from it, they will not share with you what they did while they were, you know, in combat. You can ask them and they will just smile and tell you it's really interesting to parachute out of an airplane at 25,000 feet and you're wearing oxygen mask. And all, but they don't tell you what they did. They just, they will say, you can see forever when you jump out of a plane like that. I mean, they just deflect. Yet those people who uh, write the books or the movie scripts that uh, the show and tell or kiss and tell kind of things that uh, that are made into the movies, they are disowned by the crew. Uh, they are no longer welcome inside the SEALs world. And the guy who did that, that I, I'm told, that wrote the book that became the movie, the, uh, the one about uh, taking out bin Laden, uh, Deep Dark 30, whatever it was, I don't remember the exact title. Uh, they ostracized him. And in the end, he wrote a check for seven million bucks to give his royalties back because he was uh, sort of disenfranchised and he was not, he couldn't, the money was not worth having lost the relationship uh, with his fellow uh, veterans. So, I mean, there's people that live it, right? And so it doesn't have to be a single line pasted on the wall. It, it, it's there, but they understand it, and they use it, and they, they live it. And so the corporate experience on this really is, if you want to take it uh, another step further, it kind of leads you to how do we craft strategy? And I find in most corporate organizations, uh, they have to answer this question first. The strategy top-down or bottom-up in an organization? So you have to ask, answer this question, who owns the strategy? And uh, I've been in organizations that have done this where, you know, the board of directors goes off on retreat, comes back, and, and says to the management team, here's the strategy, go execute. And... Uh, I've also seen it where management 
you know, bristles at that. They want to have some input into it. Obviously, the CEO is always at the table, but, you know, those below the CEO, VPs and that kind of stuff. So, you know, I've also seen it where it comes bottom up, where there's much more input from the staff because you know, they're in the front line and they're living the, the organization every day. And is there a right answer to that? I don't know. Uh, probably not. You just have to see what's comfortable. Frankly, when I went through the exercise bottom up uh, for the first time, uh, I have to say the board had some trepidation that there was that management would default to operational stuff and ignore or gloss over uh, the role of investors, shareholders, and rates of return and f- financial performance. And frankly, they didn't. Uh, they impressed us. Actually, they were uh, more bullish than the board members were who are representing the shareholders. Now, that may have been a unique experience. I've also talked to CEOs who said, you know, they've, they've built organizations where one of its core values was to be a great place to work. And that translated in the mind of the workers into a place where we never have to work. And, um, you know, because that makes it great, right? And uh, or Too many uh, beanbags. Yeah, or, or <laughs> you know, any measure of profit is sinful. And, uh, it, you know, it really, it really did backfire on them. And, and so be careful what you wish for in this kind of stuff. But in my view, ultimately, the board of directors, the shareholder, and the shareholder's representative being the board of directors, they own the strategy. And they're the ones that own what this business DNA should be. And then this is where we get into the conversation that's kind of fun about how do you craft strategy. And here's where I see uh, kind of a dichotomy. My view is strategy is not a plan. Uh, And we always write strategic plans. I think that that's flawed. I think strategy is a destination. It's what you want to look like three years, five years out. So now we're back to that single word. So I, I always challenge boards of directors when we're doing strat planning is to say, what is the state of affairs today? Describe that in a word. And I often will, and this is a word that comes up and, you know, it comes up a lot probably because when I get called in or others like me who get called in to help facilitate, it's usually because we're not having happy days, right? You need some outside advice. So I, one of the words that comes up most frequently when I'm doing this thing is distress. The organization describes itself as being in distress today. And then I say, okay, that's the word of the day. You've described the organization today as it sits in a word. Now, what word do you want it to be five years from now? And, uh, you know, we'll put a list of words up on the board and, and take a look at it. And one that comes up fairly frequently is, you know, uh, transformed or something like that's more of a verb than a, than a adjective. But anyway, it, it really is... Uh, I, I like to keep it as open-ended as possible, uh, realigned or something like that, because, and here's why. If you say, we're in distress today, tomorrow I want to be better, and I say to management, that's the destination. Management, it's up to you to sort out how we get from A to B. If I, as board of directors, write the plan, I've now just wrote an operations plan, in my view. I think that what we call strategic plans today are really operational plans. The strategy is the destination. So, you know, a, a 
put it this way. This is one I use a lot in, in Saskatchewan is if you're in Regina or you're in Saskatoon and you say the mission here, the destination is the other city. So if you're in Regina, it's Saskatoon, it's Saskatoon, it's Regina. And, and then we sort of jokingly say, well, yeah, management takes that guidance. And then, you know, they drive from Saskatoon to Prince Albert across to Melfort down Highway 6 and all the way to Regina. It's like the long way around, right? And you go, oh, how inefficient is that? Yeah, but it's the destination. It's get to Regina. And they did that. May not be the most efficient way to get there. You might want to define a little bit more closely as, uh, you know, your destination, uh, you know, your strategy uh you know, using Highway 11 because it's the most efficient, but you might just say, get from A to B in the most efficient manner or, uh, you know, but nobody gets there that quickly. So just pick the destination, then let management decide what the routing is to get from here to there. And then management is, is very empowered with this and they will love it. If the board will just say, get there, come back with an answer on how we're going to get there. Management's just been empowered. So there's a direct link if there's too much macro level or even maybe micromanagement from board towards the the um, actual management of the organization. If that power effectively is felt it's taken away from the management, there can build, I'm guessing, resentment and a question of purpose for those people. Sure. And boards uh, tend to fire CEOs in these environments. So if you watch organizations that are replacing CEOs frequently, you have to ask yourself, am I really bad at hiring or am I bad at being a board? And, uh, you know, I'm like in the weeds too much. And, And so, you know, the temptation is that most of the people who sit on boards are successful in their own right. And so... I've been there, done that. So when I watch management team struggling, going the wrong route, whatever, the urge for me to wade in there and become operational is almost insurmountable. But you are undermining the relationship and you're undermining the organization. And, you know, I'll I'll just give one last thing here before we wind up, just an observation. I do sit on a board where we, it's a First Nations company, and one of the things that they assign to us in their wisdom, and I tell you, I think it's brilliant, is we have two elders who sit on the board. Now, they are not full-blown board members. They don't have a vote. They don't have any legal. They're advisors to us. And they bring context, and it's it's absolutely wonderful. I, was, I didn't really know what to think about it in the beginning, but I'll just give you an example. We had a board meeting the morning after the announcement of the discovery of 715 unmarked graves on a Saskatchewan First Nation. Now, not all of us on the board are First Nations, uh, but we do have a couple. And as I'm board chair, and so as chair, I had to start the meeting. And I, you know, frankly, this is the elephant in the room. We, we can't ignore it. And I had the, the good fortune of having an elder there to put it into context for us. And and as I thought about it after, I think we age out on big company boards, uh, people who you know hit a certain age, and so we kick them off the board. And I think, what a mistake. You got all of that wisdom. You know, if their mind is all still together, they haven't, you know, they're not suffering from some kind of ailment. Why wouldn't we move them from board member to advisor or elder? I think 
all boards could learn from the First Nations experience on this. And and I have to tell you, I'll just share with you the wisdom that that was given to us that day at the meeting. So first he told us uh, about a residential school on our traditional lands or the traditional lands of the First Nation that I'm working with, something I didn't know about. There uh, was a fire there almost 100 years ago. It was, you know, dozens of children killed in the fire. And this is part of history that has not really been documented. So they had plenty of reason for resentment and anger and, you know, pent-up emotion. Instead, he closed off by saying this. There is a reason the windshield is 50 times bigger than the rearview mirror in your car. You need to know where you've been. It's important. But what's ahead of you is way bigger. Now, that kind of wisdom is just indispensable to a board of directors. And that had nothing to do with the experience any of us had in running a business in a previous life or whatever. It was just plain and simple wisdom. And that's what I think boards of directors that excel bring that to the table. And the tools we're talking about today are ways that board members can you know, conduct themselves so that they can they can fight that urge to get in the weeds, but still provide maximum benefit to those who are charged with the day-to-day operation of the company. Paul, thank you so much for this, and thank you for sharing that story as well. It's incredibly, incredibly powerful. And thank you for taking the time to listen to Saskatchewan Matters from Martin Charlton Communications. Do share these insights that power Saskatchewan with your colleagues and friends. Saskatchewan Matters is proud to be a part of the Saskatchewan Podcast Network.